Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome to Staples on 3. It is a Sunday night in November following a bunch of really important games. And I got to say, not the level of news that I was necessarily expecting this time of year or that we necessarily get this time of year but there was one big piece of news and it came out of los angeles usc has parted ways with defensive coordinator alex grinch following a 52 to 42 loss to washington when this came out i i had my thoughts immediately and and had to just turn on the camera and, and record them so here here's where i was right at the moment lincoln riley announced that he had fired alex grinch USC coach Lincoln Riley has done what he probably should have done after last year's Pac-12 championship game. He has fired defensive coordinator Alex Grinch, a relationship that spanned Oklahoma and USC, but never really produced any good defenses outside of 2020, is over. Riley announced it on Sunday, said Grinch has been relieved of his duties. D-line coach Sean Nua and inside linebackers coach Brian Odom will be interim co-defensive coordinators for the rest of the way for the Trojans. And honestly, it can't get much worse than the defense that we've seen so far this year. USC ranked 109th in the nation in yards per play allowed at 6.1, 124th in the nation. There are 133 FBS schools, by the way, in scoring defense with 34.5 points a game. Only one opponent this season has averaged under five yards per play. That was Arizona State, which averaged 4.97. So gain another yard, and they would have crossed that threshold. They were number 128 in the country in plays of 10-plus yards allowed with 150. To put that in perspective, USC plays Oregon this week. Oregon's defense ranks number 13 in the country in that stat with 97, so less than, than two-thirds of the total that USC has given up this season. It was just unbelievable after an offseason where USC did some things to upgrade its, its talent on defense. Uh, they get Bear Alexander, the transfer from Georgia on the D-line, get some freshmen in there who, who could be pretty good. You know, they, they beefed up up front, but they weren't any better. In fact, they were probably worse. And the same complaints that followed Grinch from Oklahoma followed him to USC. It's trying to use players that are probably too small for their position. I was talking to a, a former player who watched Grinch closely at Oklahoma and has watched from afar at USC, who said, it feels like Grinch's whole philosophy is to avoid blocks when sometimes you just have to take on blocks and overcome them. That's what Georgia does, Alabama does, Ohio State does, Michigan does. They try to just bulldoze you at times. USC never did that. USC also had a pretty complicated scheme with some young players, 
and that led to a lot of players being out of position. Uh, former USC quarterback, Heisman Trophy winner Matt Leinert pointed that out during the loss to Washington on Saturday, talking about how players are it feel, seemingly always out of position, same problems week after week, and it doesn't ever seem to get fixed. And that's the problem. Now, Lincoln Riley was told by people around him that Alex Grinch and he needed to part ways after last season, not just for Riley's sake, but for Grinch's sake, because Grinch at one time was a hot name as a defensive coordinator. He did a really good job at Washington State working opposite Mike Leach. And if you know the history of Mike Leach in the air raid, there weren't a lot of defensive coordinators who could have a, a scheme that seemed to mesh well with the air raid. Lincoln Riley, obviously a Mike Leach disciple. Remember, Grinch went to Ohio State. He was going to be Ohio State's D.C. Instead, he wanted to be in co-D.C. with Greg Schiano because Greg Schiano got the Tennessee job. Tennessee fans revolted, and he didn't have the Tennessee job, and so he wound up staying at Ohio State. They had a weird co-D.C. relationship. That defense was not very good at Ohio State, and then Grinch goes to Oklahoma. The fool's gold was the 2020 season, which, as we learn, not much of that season really should count for anything in terms of trying to establish a pattern because they were better. They were much better, especially at the end of that season. They went and destroyed Florida in the Cotton Bowl. It looked like they were turning a corner defensively. But then in 2021, right back to the same old, same old. 2022 at USC, that defense cost them against Utah in the regular season and just collapsed against Utah in the Pac-12 championship game and then collapsed again against Tulane in the Cotton Bowl. So at this point, USC has now wasted two years with Caleb Williams, the Heisman Trophy winning season last year, where had the defense played even halfway decent against Utah in the Pac-12 championship game, USC probably would have made the college football playoff, would have won a conference title. This year, even an adequate defense would have USC still in the mix, probably, for a Pac-12 title. But you saw a shootout against Washington where they just couldn't compete. Now they're going to go play Oregon, a team that actually does play very good defense most of the time, but also has a very explosive offense. And I'll be curious to see what happens because one of the complaints about the Grinch defense is that it's too complex. USC still has really good players. They have very good athletes. Is there a chance that these guys could simplify the defense just play something somewhat vanilla and get better results. Will it be enough to beat Oregon? I, I don't know. I doubt it. Oregon's very, very good. They're at home. The odds and crowd's going to be crazy. Oregon has no margin for error, has to win this game if it wants to, to have a chance to win the Pac-12 and make the playoff. But it's an interesting experiment because that was one of the, the knocks on Grinch, that it's just too complicated. What if they let the athletes just be athletes? It's worth a try. At this point, you've already wasted this season, but at least maybe you can get an idea of how things could get better in the future. So the other piece of this is that Lincoln Riley has to decide that he wants to run a program that has a good defense. He has to be unwilling to accept mediocrity on defense or well, less than mediocrity if you if you want to talk about the last couple of defenses that they've had. And he has to be willing to practice in a way that will allow the defense to be good. 
And people ask, what do, what do you mean by that? Basically, you got to be willing to give the defense equal time to the offensive practice, but also you got to be willing to hit, which means your offensive players will get hit because the defensive players need to practice tackling so they can tackle on game day. And if anybody doesn't remember how the tackling part goes, go back and watch last year's Pac-12 title game. Watch some of the, the broken tackles. Well, I mean, go watch the Washington game. Watch all the broken tackles. It's, it's a philosophy. It's a whole program philosophy. If you go to a Georgia practice in November, they're still hitting. They still want to make sure they know how to hit. Ohio State, that was a, a knock on them. Well, they look more physical. Michigan, they've been physical the whole time. Alabama, physical the whole time. A.B. Bailey asks in the chat, he finally fired Grinch about freaking time. Why did he hang on to him so long? Again, Lincoln Riley has shown a propensity for accepting less than ideal results on defense. And I think it's an oversimplification to say all he cares about is the offense, but he needs to care more about the defense. He's always going to be good on offense. He's a great play caller, great play designer, great teacher of quarterbacks. That's not going to be the problem ever. You got to find somebody who can instill the right attitude in your defense. Plus, you got to find somebody who can recruit the way you need to recruit going into the league you're going into. Because I, I still think that Lincoln Riley left Oklahoma because he wanted no part of the SEC. He didn't want to try to recruit in the SEC. Because to win in the SEC, you have to be great on both lines of scrimmage. You have to recruit top 100 players on both sides of the line of scrimmage. Lincoln Riley doesn't do that. Hasn't done that. Maybe they'll start doing that. You can do that at USC for sure. But you can also do that at Oklahoma as Brent Venables is showing right now. So they've got to upgrade the talent because the league they're going into Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State are going to have monsters up front. Oregon will continue to have monsters up front and will still be in your league. Washington occasionally has monsters up front. So you got to you got to figure that out. And you got to hire somebody and let them do their job and give them enough resources at practice and let them be physical if they want to be physical. Because that's how you win national championships. If that is your goal, that's how you do it. Now, I'm assuming that Lincoln Riley was briefed when he took the USC job that the Big Ten operation was underway. But I will tell you, you could have won the Pac-12 most years without having that level of defense, without having that level of, of line play on both sides of the line of scrimmage. So maybe that's what he thought he was going to get. But it's not going to work in it where he's going. So he has to be better. So DCs who interview for this job, ask hard questions. What's the practice schedule going to look like? How, how often are we going to be able to hit? Can we practice tackling? Can we be live? These are legitimate questions. And if you don't like the answers, don't do it because the, the, the result may be something that looks like what we've seen this year. That's it. It's amazing because they're so good offensively. 
that they just turn a blind eye to the problems on defense is shocking. But maybe now there's a chance for a solution. We will see how much Lincoln Riley actually cares about putting together a complete program that can compete for the national title. We will see what he does. This, this will be a good test for Lincoln Riley. Next up, a list that does not include USC. We thought it would at this point. During the preseason, we figured this, this USC would be on this list right now. But no, we're going to the resume rankings. This is the ranking that does not include any preseason hype, no reputation. It's all based on what you've done this year. As we said early in the season, it's gonna it's gonna look weird for a while. It's gonna you know swing wildly, and by the end, it would start to look like the other polls. I predict that this top ten will be identical to the top ten in the college football playoff committee's rankings. Not because I want it to be, just because I just think reasonable people are probably going to come to similar conclusions. Number one, still Ohio State. Now, when we get to the CFP projections, you're going to see something and go, well, why do you have Ohio State number one in the resume rankings? Because right now, best collection of wins, played the best so far, looked the best with good wins. The Notre Dame win a little a little lost luster with the loss to Clemson by Notre Dame, but the Penn State win still very nice. But you've got Michigan going to play Penn State this week, so we'll have a, a, a comparison point, and obviously they're going to play each other, Michigan and Ohio State, in, in three weeks. And then you've got Georgia that just played Missouri and is about to play Ole Miss. Their wins are getting better. And that's why I've got Georgia number two now. I moved Georgia up because... Missouri's their best win of the season so far. This week, they have a chance to get a better win against Ole Miss. If they're impressive against Ole Miss, I may bump them to number one. Of course, they might lose to Ole Miss. Ole Miss is 8-1 right now. But Georgia against Missouri, I was impressed. They, they went down early, but then they took the lead, and then they got stops when they needed to. The offense did what it needed to do. Uh, they put the game away there at the end and, and got it to two possessions with about five minutes to go. So I'm I'm fine with where they're at. And we know they have a switch that they can hit and be really good. And also, you're looking at possibly getting Marius Mims, the right tackle, back from injury. He had an ankle injury. Looking at getting him back for this game against Ole Miss. Brock Bowers, the idea behind that tightrope ankle surgery was to get him back quickly. So perhaps he's back against Tennessee or maybe maybe it takes the SEC championship game. But if you have Brock Bowers back in time for the SEC championship game, it, it changes the, the math on everything. Number three, Michigan. Still haven't played anybody, but they play somebody this week. But everybody they've played, they've crushed. Say what you want about what's going on off the field. I don't know that that matters at this point. Whatever will happen will happen. If some, if there's the Big Ten makes a disciplinary decision or doesn't and, and punts it to the NCAA, it doesn't matter. This team probably is going to be good no matter what. And this team's going to play. They're not going to come out and say this team's not playing. So we will see when they play Penn State, what does this offense look like against an elite defense? Now, Penn State's defense, not, or Penn State's offense is not very good. So 
I would think that Michigan should keep the score down pretty low and not have to blow up and, and score a ton on Penn State's defense. But one never knows. Drew Aller looked pretty good against Maryland. So perhaps we get a, a really good game in Happy Valley. This Remember, if it's in Ann, Ar- in Ann Arbor, Penn State gets blown out. That's just, they get blown out in Ann Arbor. I don't, I don't know why. But they do seem to have a chance when they play at home. We'll see. If Michigan steamrolls them, maybe Michigan's number one next week. Number four, Florida State. Seminoles beat Pittsburgh 24-7 without their two best receivers, Keon Coleman and Johnny Wilson. Uh, Jordan Travis continues to be excellent. Uh, defense did what it needed to do. Pittsburgh's not very good offensively, but that's okay. Uh, Florida State is probably going to cruise the ACC championship game. We were looking at this week's game against Miami as the big one, as the, as the one that would be the real test for the Seminoles, but Miami seems to have fallen off pretty badly. They just lost 20 to six to NC State. And I, I don't think, I don't know that Florida State will beat Miami as badly as they did last year because that was just an utter humiliation. But Florida State looks considerably better. Number five, Washington. They won their shootout at USC, but it does not get any easier for the Huskies. They're going to have to earn that undefeated spot if they want to have that going into the Pac 12 championship game. They get Utah this week, Oregon State next week. It's going to be very hard for them to stay undefeated. But the good news is they beat Oregon, which gives them that mulligan, and that allows them to have a loss and and still be in playoff contention too. That's the thing. If Washington drops one between now and the Pac-12 championship game, I would think under most circumstances, the winner of a one-loss Oregon versus one-loss Washington is still going to the college football playoff because there should be some chaos everywhere else. But, But we'll see. Number six, Oregon. The Ducks keep smashing people. Since they lost to Washington, that's all they've done is smash people. They killed Cal this weekend. They get USC this weekend. So what USC does defensively against the Ducks will be interesting. We know USC should be able to score a little bit on Oregon. I don't know that they're going to be able to score as much on Oregon as they scored on Washington. But Oregon is going to have to put up some points to win this game. I do think they will. I, I think... This defense will get after Caleb Williams. And we saw with the Notre Dame game where the the pressure on Caleb Williams, especially knowing how bad the defense is, he will try to force some stuff. And so I could see Oregon forcing some turnovers here and maybe gets a little more out of hand than USC Washington did. But that's a that's an intriguing one because you don't know what the scheme's going to look like defensively. Do they change much? Do they call it the same way Grinch would have called it? We don't know. We we saw an example of that this week with Florida and Arkansas where uh, Arkansas had fired Dan Enos, their offensive coordinator. They had elevated Kenny Guyton, who had been an analyst. And Guyton had worked with Kendall Bryles before. So they really went back to the offense that they had run the year before. And look, if you're Florida's defense, that's, that's probably not what you were prepping for most of the time. You probably had to look at some of that just in case, but I I don't think you expected it the whole time. So Oregon's going to have to deal with whatever USC throws at them defensively and probably adjust on the fly. Number seven, Texas. Listen, that fourth quarter against Kansas State was ugly, but guess what? They won. And this was a Texas team that needed to show it could win like this. 
Texas has not won games like this in the last few years. These are the games that they let slip away. They won this one against K-State. Big step for the program now. They got to go to TCU, to Iowa State, and they get Texas Tech. All of these games are going to be fraught with emotion. Iowa State, remember, they just lost to Kansas. They they only had one conference loss. They, they'll have two. So if they can beat Texas, they can throw things into chaos. Texas is going to have to get everything straight. We're going to talk to Bobby Burton from inside Texas later in the show. He's going to explain when's Quinn Ewers maybe going to come back, what, what do things look like with Malik Murphy right now. We'll talk about all that with Bobby. Number eight, Alabama. This team lost to Texas, but it looks like a different team now than the one that lost to Texas. This looks like a team that maybe on the right day can beat Georgia in the SEC championship game. And they've evolved. And we're going to talk later with Tim Watts from Bama Online about the evolution of this Alabama team because it it feels like that very flawed team that we saw in the beginning of the season has started to figure some things out. Number nine, Louisville. Jeff Brom's done a great job of figuring out what his team is. They play great defense. They can run the ball. Yes, they can throw the ball to Jamari Thrash, but I just... I think running it with Jawar Jordan and, and letting that defense just shut teams down, it's a good mix. And, and Jeff Brom is great at just kind of figuring out what his team is best at and leaning into it. And you, you saw it at Purdue. You're seeing it now with Louisville. It looks like Louisville and Florida State are on a collision course to the ACC championship game. And, it's, and that, that could be a very, very fun game. Yes, Yosef, who's a Louisville fan, top 10 Absolutely, and I think you're going to be in the top 10 in the uh, college football playoff selection committee rankings too. Number 10, Ole Miss. The Rebels cut a little close against Texas A&M. It looked like they were going to run away with that game, and then A&M made a game out of it. But Ole Miss survives. The field goal misses at the end of the game. Big win for Ole Miss. Now they got to go to Athens. This will be a fun one. I, I can't wait to see this offense against Georgia's defense. I, I don't know that, that Ole Miss's defense, after what we saw Texas A&M do to them, I think Georgia's going to be able to score on them about as much as they want. But they are in a good position. Because if they drop this one but win the rest of their games, you're looking at a New Year's Six Bowl, and that's a, that's a pretty good spot. So that is your resume top 10. I think it's going to be almost identical or maybe exactly identical to the top 10 of the, the selection committee rankings. They might have Louisville and Ole Miss flipped. That's about the only thing I can see that they're going to change. But that's what happens when you get more data. It does tend to coalesce into something similar. So the AP poll, they still got Georgia, number one. But I got a feeling that, that what I do, what the committee does, what some of these other folks do, we may have Georgia number one after next week if they play well against Ole Miss. So it makes, makes a lot of sense. Now, we got to talk about the team that has been the biggest story in college football the last two weeks. They got back on the field on Saturday with a big rousing win against Purdue. Now we knew they were going to beat Purdue, but Michigan once again thrashed an opponent that was a lesser opponent. They, they did not mess around. They just, they, they jumped on them and then a yeah, little, little pause, but then continued to roll. But of course there is everything else looming over Michigan. Anthony Broom of the Wolverine joined us to talk about the off-field stuff and that huge, huge game in State College on Saturday. 
We are joined now by Anthony Broom of the Wolverine. And I promise, promise we're going to talk about Michigan on the field. Promise. But first, Anthony, we we got to talk about the thing that is just eating everything else. And that is the, the alleged sign stealing the Big Ten versus Michigan, however you want to do it. It, it feels like a, a very strange situation for everybody involved. Like the Big Ten basically faced with a choice of you've got all these people on one side saying, you got to do something about this right now. And then Michigan going, um, what about due process? What about you don't have an investigatory arm? The NCAA does that. And that's going to take a while. Like what, what do you do if you're, if, if you're Tony Petiti, the big 10 commissioner, and what do you do, Anthony, if you're Santa Ono, the, the Michigan president? Well, I think if you're Santa Ono, first and foremost, I, I think that, yeah, you do fight this because it, it's it's a unique situation where, you know, an invest as far as we know, an investigation was just opened up, like whatever it was, the two the two weeks ago. Right. So NCAA for, investigation. Yeah, correct. So for this to be uh, for the information that's been made available to come via leaks and anonymous sources and not necessarily as the result of an investigation, um, you know, I do think that Michigan is right to be like, hey, listen, like we get there might be a paper trail of things that have gone on and we are going to have to eat some sort of punishment for that. Like that's going to happen, but there needs to be a, as you know, the, the buzzword now, the due process uh, that has to be let played out. So uh, for Michigan, I understand that um, from the big 10 perspective, the coach's perspective, the league's perspective, given that that information that is out there right now is so damning and the paper trail is so clear and all of these schools have, these ticket receipts that go to, you know, that are linked back to Connor mm -hmm. Stallions. I get why they could say, what is there to investigate? It's all out there. So, I mean, there's the layers of that. There's apparently the layer that a, you know, a third party investigative mm -hmm. arm is, is involved here somehow. I mean, from the day that this came out, you're starting to think, wow, well, this could be a pretty fascinating 30 for 30. Now it's starting to feel like the, you know, the, the six part docu-series. I was going to say, you, you're, you're making multiple it's... parts to this thing because it, it does have so many legs and tentacles and all various extremities. But so, yeah, it, and and then like the Big Ten situation, just reading the tea leaves based on what you guys reported at the Wolverine and talking to people, it feels like the Big Ten was trying to get Michigan to do something itself. Like that mm -hmm. would, they considered that the cleanest way because they don't have to put themselves out there at that point but if you're michigan there's no incentive to do that and if you don't do that the big 10 has to do something or has to decide if it wants to do something and what tony petiti is allowed to do by the bylaws he can issue maximum two game suspension to someone they can do more but that would require the joint executive committee to say yes which michigan has representation on not sure they'd be cool with that yeah, I, I'm. I'm not sure they would be. I, I'm not sure that anyone would want. Uh, again, I know there's been a lot of you know, put the shoe on their other foot. How would you feel if this is at your school? Well, put the shoe on the other foot in terms of if this was something going on with your school. Yeah. Again, with all of this information coming out via leaks and you know the rumors about what the origins of the investigation are, which again, I have to make clear, like, it whatever comes out on that side of it does not exonerate Michigan at all. Like it's pretty clear what's out there, you know, you know what the implications of that could be. But um, you know, to to kind of step in and you know, I, you know, I'm not a big fan of of hitting the easy button on crying about you know the witch hunt 
or the mm-hmm. mob mentality, but everything right now just does feel super emotional. I think yeah. everyone involved in this needs to take a step back and take a deep breath. Well, and I think that that may be what happens ultimately. And that that's the part I don't think people understand the dynamics here. And I think that's that's a bigger part of it too. Like if this were Indiana or if this were the SEC and Vanderbilt, for example, the team or the, the school owes a lot more to the conference than the conference owes to the school. But because it's Michigan, and this it would be the same thing if it were Ohio State or if it were Alabama or if it were Texas and and the and well the Big 12 before the SEC now. Um the the program does not owe the conference squat because it is a draw. It is a big reason why this multi-billion dollar TV contract exists. So like if I'm Michigan, and this is the other part people don't seem to grasp in this situation because everybody wants something to happen. But if you're Santa Ono, your job is to satisfy the people of Michigan, your constituents, not the Big Ten's constituents. And I think that's that's the part that, that, that people don't get. Like if I'm Santa Ono, I'm, I'm worried about what the people who employ me think about this, not what Ohio State, Purdue, and Minnesota think about this. Yeah, and I, I don't think it's, again, I've already said this, like I don't think it's a crazy ask to just ask for an investigation to play out and for, to let that, you know, again, buzzword of the day, the due process of it. Uh, and, and I saw that, you know, Santa Ono, a lot of people, obviously Michigan people see the letter that comes out and, mm-hmm. and they're, yes, that's our guy, like Santa's fighting for us and the rest of the nation will roll their eyes and say, well, due process, what about this and this and, and you know, X incident and, and Y incident? It's like, I, I don't I don't like that aspect of it either. So yeah, like Michigan's going to defend itself here and it should. Um, I, you know, I think that the people in that, inside of Ann Arbor know that they are taking this seriously. It's not like they're, they're saying that this is, uh, you know, a witch hunt and that, you know, it's a smear campaign and things like that. Like they want, they just want it to be investigated because I think, you know, even take it outside of sport, anything at a university level that has some sort of accusation like that, you, you take the deep breath, you take a step back and you investigate it. And then you determine what your path forward is. But, um, you know, having the punishment come, before the sentencing seems super weird to me or before the adjudication like the, yeah. the the guilty or not guilty exactly that and that is that's what makes this so confusing is you know that there's just not the mechanism to do something right now you know and i, I we've, we've compared it to other sports but you know there was a situation like this in the nfl they didn't do anything quickly even then, and they have the power to do it. So it's it's going to be fascinating to watch what happens. But let's let's transition to the on field part of it because that's all that's part of this too. Yeah, their biggest game of the season is this week. So far, they play Penn State. This is the first good competition that they have faced. This is the best team they faced, and it's a great measuring stick for them. How is this team handling all of the other stuff heading into that? I get the sense that, again, I know it's, it's cliche, but I get the sense that they've kind of rallied around it and internalized it, which is something that I think, uh, again, regardless of what people think about 
how this program has turned things around over the last two years. I think that's a big part of it in terms of the culture that's been built is, is their players' ability to block out, not, not even block out the noise. They see everything. They read mm-hmm. everything. And they find a way to internalize that and weaponize that. And I, I get the sense, too, that, again, um, I think bored isn't the right word, but Michigan hasn't been challenged this year. But in its yeah. toughest spots of the season where you think um, – you know, you think back to the Nebraska game, a first game on the road, upstart program, tough pace to play. They came out on fire right off the bat. Uh, you yeah. see the same thing the next week at Minnesota. Michigan State, a rivalry game, always tough just on that alone. Forget the fact that, you know, 24, 48 hours before that was when, you know, the, the drip, drip, drip of this whole, uh, you know, illegal scouting operation accusation has been out there. And, you know, they came out and hammered their rival when that happened too. So, it's a different type of adversity that the other teams have faced. And that's not something you can quantify and punch into a computer and the college football playoff will necessarily take that into account. But to me, this season, I've seen this group play its best football when the questions or the the noise has been the loudest and heading into this game on Saturday night or Saturday afternoon, I should say that feels like where things are heading. Now we take things one day at a time, I don't know what I don't know what state the program will be in by the end of this week or what's what's out there what what right. response is but uh based on everything we know right now I think that Michigan is ready for that challenge and the fact that you kind of have a game against Purdue where you know you play your your C your C plus game even and still walk out of there with a blowout walk out of there with a lot of things to put on film and focus on this week I I think this is a really good spot for Michigan to kind of um you know, bounce back from not just everything that's been going on, but cement itself as one of the best teams in the country. Yeah. And, and you look at that Purdue game, they jump all over them. They let them breathe for about a quarter and then they jump all over them again. It, it seems like that they, they've, they've got that gear that they can turn on when they need to. And I I'm just fascinated to see it again. Like Penn state's offense is not the best. We know that, but it's an elite defense. So mm-hmm. I want to see, JJ McCarthy and company against this defense. Can they move the ball at will? Can they can they run the ball well? Uh, that's the one thing I, you know, reading you guys, the you've been you guys have been kind of hard on the Michigan run game recently, even though they're still averaging what the the number one yards per carry in the Big Ten. Yeah, it's I mean, it's nitpicky, right? Like you you yeah. get through these first nine games without a ton of resistance. I don't think they've played, you know, a, an FPI team that's above like 50 or 60. So mm. like I get their obvious caveats, you know, in that respect, but you know, the Michigan run game, it, it's, it's almost been flipped. Like last year, the, the, the run game was a non-negotiable and you're waiting for that pass game to come along to take that next level. This year, it's been kind of the flip side of that. And people have been surprised by that, given that Blake Quorum is back, Donovan, Donovan Edwards is back and Blake Quorum has, you know, the rushing touchdown numbers, but we're not seeing him get 25 carries a game for a hundred plus yards. I think the biggest difference with that is this team is this team's offensive line probably isn't winning a third straight Joe Moore award. Seeing a little more pressure off the tackles than last year. Uh, you know they didn't have they didn't play very well against Purdue. Again, you you go back and watch some of the game film of Michigan's offensive lines these last two years, and some would argue this would even sort of offset the the implications of how much of an advantage they would have had scouting, but. They have they had guys that Michigan's backs were running through these running lanes that you could drive a Dodge Ram through. 
And, and right. that type of push to me hasn't been there yet this year. And maybe, maybe it emerges, you know, in the pressure cooker of the next few weeks, but through nine weeks, it's, it's clearly not the strength of the team right now, but I'm not, I'm not out on the idea that they could have a big, you know, stretch run here. Well, there's also the, 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 part where JJ McCarthy can get them out of some issues if he needs mm -hmm. to, because he is as dynamic. I mean, he's the most dynamic quarterback they've had in the Harbaugh era. Oh yeah. Without question. And, and I think <laughs> it's, it's JJ, it's the improvisation. I think that they've been a lot more creative with some of their run plays this year too. I mean, you see a guy like Samaj Morgan, a true freshman scoring on a, on a rushing mm -hmm. attempt. Uh, that was a, that was a beautifully designed play too. And, and you yeah. saw, I mean, you saw that sort of develop slowly and you're like, wow, okay, there, there's nothing anybody can do about this. Yeah, they're doing a, a lot better job this year. It just seems of creating misdirection, you know, scheming some of those guys open, even just for the kind of the check down throws for McCarthy. So that's where like the offense, people are, are off put because the offense doesn't look as dominant on the ground. But I still think when push comes to shove, the way that Ron Moore's been calling plays, the way that J.J. McCarthy's been playing, they're going to, by land, sea, or air, they're going to find a way to move the ball <laughs> down the field. So, yeah. Well, push will come to shove probably off and on the field this week. So uh, I will be uh, bothering you and, and Chris Ballas and, and Clayton and everybody at the Wolverine all week. So I uh, cannot wait to see you guys in State College. <laughs> it's going to be great to see you, Andy. Thank you so much for having us. Thanks, Anthony. That is Anthony Broom from the Wolverine. And just going to be a big week for Michigan. We, we don't know what's going to happen. You've got you know, the Big Ten. You've got Michigan. They're at loggerheads. You also have the biggest game of the year so far for Michigan. It's, it is going to be a wild week for the Wolverines. Before we get to our college football playoff and New Year's Six projections, I got to tell you about prize picks. Prize Picks is the largest independently owned daily fantasy sports platform in North America. It is also the most fun. I had a blast this weekend playing Prize Picks. Not the way I thought I would, though. I thought I had a slam dunk, easy one. So the way you do it. First, you, you download the app. Use the code Andy. They will match your first deposit up to 100 bucks. You pick two or more squares. And a square would say... Okay, here's what we think Jaden Daniels is going to throw for against Alabama. And in this case, it's 283 and a half yards. And you have to pick more or less. And so I said, this thing is going to be a shootout. Jaden Daniels, more than 283 and a half. Jalen Milrow, more than 237 and a half. They both threw for 219. No, nothing. Got nothing on that one. But I had another one where I, I really like the ones where you can have the quarterbacks combined passing, rushing, receiving TDs, and it's a combo of quarterbacks. So I did Bo Nix and J.J. McCarthy more than four and a half, Caleb Williams and Jaden Daniels more than five and a half, and then threw in a receiver one with Roma Dunze from Washington and Malik Neighbors from LSU more than 205 and a half receiving yards. I also had Marvin Harrison Jr. and Evan Stewart, but it's interesting how Prize Picks does this. So Evan Stewart was a late scratch for the Ole Miss game. He's a Texas A&M receiver. The way they handle that is if he doesn't play, instead of the, just invalidating you or you just lose, you revert to a three-pick three pick play. Well, I won that one because all the other three hit. So 50 bucks turned into 250 bucks. 
And that is what you do at Prize Picks. In fact, you can you can make up to 25 times your money if you play it right. So go to Prize Picks, download that app, use the code Andy. They will match your first deposit up to 100 bucks. It's a lot of fun. They've got the NFL, NBA, cricket, League of Legends. They got gaming. It's if you can play it, you can play it on Prize Picks. So go to the get the app, use that code Andy, get that deposit match. All right, let us talk about our projections for the college football playoff because we've talked about that resume ranking and and so this kind of feeds into it but this is different this is what we think is going to happen with the games that haven't been played yet so right now i'm still thinking the pac-12 cannibalizes itself we've seen the big 12 start to cannibalize itself now texas still has a chance but they're going to have to get through TCU and Iowa State. They're going to have to win the Big 12 title game. I still think there's a chance two Big 10 teams make it. So right now, I've got in the Sugar Bowl, number one Georgia versus number four Ohio State. And basically, that means I think Ohio State is going to keep winning until they lose to Michigan. And that Michigan's going to win out. Because I've got Michigan at number two in the Rose Bowl against number three Florida State. Which means I think Florida State wins the rest of its games, goes in as a 13-0 number three seed. That, of course, means that the Pac-12 gets left out. The Big 12 gets left out. The, the, the It's not going to make people happy. But 12-team playoffs coming next year. So this is possible. Now, we could see something crazy happen. Like if Michigan goes and loses to Penn State this weekend – that changes everything because all of a sudden it's a three-team race in the Big Ten East and the winner of that's probably still going to win the Big Ten. But that would change the math on everything. I don't think if Ohio State beats Michigan that Michigan gets in necessarily over a one-loss conference champ because Michigan's non-conference schedule is not that good. Ohio State at least has that Notre Dame win that kind of buoys the Buckeyes. So how would the rest of it look? I've got Louisville versus Alabama in the Orange Bowl. Remember, you got to have an ACC team in the Orange Bowl. Florida State, the champion, is already in the playoff. So Louisville gets that spot. Then the, the next highest ranked SEC team is the other team you have to take. So that's where Alabama goes in. This one, I had a third SEC team in. So I've got Ole Miss in the Peach Bowl against Oregon. I think that'd be a fun game. I, I, would, I would really enjoy watching that game. Fiesta Bowl, Washington and Tulane. This is where Air Force had been. Air Force lost to Army. Now, I don't know that Air Force would have mattered if it had been undefeated because last week when the committee rankings came out, Tulane was ahead of Air Force, even though Air Force was still undefeated. Remember, Tulane lost to Ole Miss. Tulane barely survived East Carolina this week, but I think as long as Tulane keeps winning and they win the American, they're going to get the spot of the highest-ranked group of five champ. And in the Cotton Bowl, I got Texas and Penn State. That also would be a very fun game. But... I know if you're like me, you'd be more satisfied if these were playoff teams. And they will be next year. And tomorrow night, we'll do the hypothetical of what if there were a 12-team playoff this year. Because we do need to talk about that. Because this would be a blast. This would be a great 12-team playoff. But alas, it is not time for that yet. There are only four spots. If you'd asked me about five weeks ago, 
I'd have said Alabama, not really in for one of those four spots. But now, if you ask me, ooh, the Crimson Tide got a shot. We talked to Tim Watts from Bama Online about how Alabama has evolved over the last few weeks because this team's playing pretty well coming off that LSU game and a team that didn't look like it had a chance to compete for a national title a while back now might be able to. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Tim Watts from Bama Online. He says, I only bring him on after they lose or after they struggle. Well, we're breaking, breaking tendencies today because Alabama looked very good against LSU. Nick Saban called it the best team win of the year so far. Tim, I'm curious. This. This feels different than most Alabama teams where we kind of, we know what they are most of the season. I don't remember seeing an Alabama team evolve like this. Well, 2015, maybe. But this still feels like a less perfect version of that. Yeah, it does. I mean, you know, one of the things I was looking forward to this season, we almost always know what Alabama is when they walk into a season, you know. This team, there was a lot of uncertainty. You had a new offensive coordinator, a new defensive quarter uh, coordinator. You had a new quarterback, you know, after, you know, quite the discussion of that position. So didn't really know what to expect. Um, has had its bumps along the way, but you kind of feel like they're they're figuring things out. You see the offensive line's a little bit better from week to week, it seems. And, um, you know, obviously LSU is a super talented team and, they came in with a lot of confidence. I mean, they had choreographed all their touchdown dances. They were at, you know, they were at the end zone and there was 11 of them involved, but, um, and they should be. It's one of the most prolific offenses in the country. So, yeah, I mean, just, it's not just one side of the ball or one position. There's just a lot of improvement. Well, and, and I've talked about this uh, multiple times over the last few weeks that this, if you were not an Alabama fan, this feels like the most likable Alabama team. And I, I was, Trying to imagine, like for Alabama fans, because they've they've had so much success. Like, would they embrace this team the way they have other teams? Because, like, how can you not love Terion Arnold and Malachi Moore and and those guys? But they, it didn't seem like they were going to ultimately be as successful as most Alabama teams. But now the window feels open for. Wait, maybe these guys could beat Georgia. Maybe they could make a playoff. You know, to me, I still think, you know, I said this early on, it was a team that was a work in progress. We'll know what they are completely at the end of the season, but I do think it's a game-by-game team. You know what I mean? You mm-hmm. you head to Kentucky, you head to Auburn. There's still a lot of stuff they've got to deal with. They've had really good run at home. They played some good teams. I mean, Texas is a top-10 team. LSU might be the best offense in the country. They're right up there with Washington. Ole Miss, how good does that win look now? And you look at the adjustments. How many times did you see an Alabama team successful in the first half and struggle in the second half? I feel like we saw that a lot last year. But Kevin Steele, that he's given up 10 points. His defense has given up 10 points in the second half to LSU, Tennessee, and Ole Miss combined. That's crazy. That's, that's crazy. crazy. That's amazing. And that's that's a team that had success in the first half. 
uh, adjustments, you know, and kudos to the players. They always seem to make a play like the Dallas, you know, the Dallas Turner tip and the, and the Arnold pick. They always seem to have that one play they've got to have in these games. Yeah. And that it, it's interesting that you mentioned the Ole Miss win, because I think about the circumstances of that. So that's the first game after USF, which I still believe was a, let's just show everybody what we're dealing with here yeah, with the quarterbacks. And so Milrow gets, you know, back in the starting role, but they still hadn't quite adjusted. Like Milrow and, and Reese hadn't quite adjusted to each other yet. It feels like they're much more comfortable together. Like last night felt like the first time they were really calling stuff that really suits what Jalen does well. Yeah, and I think there was that period of getting to know each other. And you know, I, you know, I've made jokes about it, but you don't get many chances to coach an athlete like Jalen Milrow. He's got a big arm. He's an athlete. He does it all. Didn't see a lot of that at Notre Dame. So Tommy Reese kind of had to learn how to call plays for him, and then Milrow had to learn to adjust what Tommy Reese wanted to call. And I think you saw that yesterday. You saw a lot of motions. If you watch that play on the first power run to go on their first touchdown, if you watch Amari Nyblack comes in motion. Seals that edge. He walks into the end zone. I mean, there's just a lot of little things. These running backs out of the backfield. You know what I mean? That helps. That helps Jalen Milrow when he's under pressure. And he did a terrific job of finding those guys. I also think Milrow has has learned that people do fear his arm, and he can take advantage of that. There's one of the touchdowns last night where he had the ball cocked and ready to throw until he got to the line of scrimmage, mm. and then he tucks and just takes off like there's a rocket strapped to his butt like that was more more nuanced than you you'd seen from him the whole year like yeah. he kept he kept that defense at bay with the threat that he was gonna throw and then all of a sudden kaboom and they couldn't yeah. like the angles were terrible yeah and that's the thing is like you saw him you i know you're talking about the touchdown where he ran to the left he you know that's another thing the offense does it gives them that option. If that linebacker, he has to commit, that defender has to commit. Do I take the running back, wide receiver in the flat, or do I take Milrow? And look, I, I've said this all along. He, he looks like Adrian Peterson running to me. And when he ran, it's power. It's power. Ask Harold Perkins. We met him at the goal line mm -hmm. on one of his touchdowns. They had to help Harold up, and Milrow was just standing there. And Harold's a physical, strong tackler and just basically bounced off Jalen Milrow. That's how big. And that's how strong he is. But I agree with you. If you go back and look at that play, I tell you one of the plays that shows kind of his progression to me is the uh, the short pass to Jace when he was under pressure for the long mm -hmm. run up the left sideline. Go back and watch that play. There's five defenders surrounding him. He is pinned in on the corner. Now Jace had the had had the great uh, football IQ of leaking out, holding up his hand like a guy wide open, and he found him. But I mean, that was a great. That was a great – and he didn't panic. He did a yeah. good job. But, you know, you go back to that likability of this team. I think when you look at Alabama's team last year, what did you think of Bryce? You thought mm -hmm. of Will. You know what I mean? Two superstars, top five guys, great human beings, great prospects, and great players. This year you kind of just got like an even kill. Whoever your favorite player is on that team. I mean, look at Proctor. Proctor yeah. has been thrown in the fire – and has steadily improved this entire season. So there's so many like little mini stories going on with this team that you've got to love.
Well, and, and the, okay, let's talk about the offensive line too, because I, I also think the improvement of Milrow has making those guys look better. Because oh, sure, we tend to blame the offensive line for any sack. Yeah, it's not always the case, and and I felt like early in the season there were times when Milrow was kind of walking himself into sacks. Sure, it does not feel like he's doing that nearly as often anymore. No, you know what he's doing? He's stepping into that pocket. You know, the offensive line is often creating that pocket. So when that pressure, they're pushing pressure to the edge. So if you drop back out, you're no longer in a safe space, right? You step into that pocket. You know, and it's not natural, if you think about it, to step in between Mm -mm. five defenders. It is natural to step out against that. So, again, that's showing his progression, being more comfortable. And you saw him do that several times last night. But I agree. Offensive line, it was a lot of guys. I mean, they were dominating the, the front. You saw, I mentioned Amari Nyblak's block. Robbie Oots had some great blocks, especially clearing up that middle. But, I mean, Jaden Roberts, Tyler, Seth, you know, Latham and Proctor, I thought they did a fantastic job. Yeah, and they're going to get tested by Kentucky. Like, Deion Walker's one of the best D linemen in the country. Sure. It, J.J. Weaver's tough to deal with on the edge. They, they will probably get a much better test from Kentucky than they got from LSU at that spot. But I also feel like Kentucky is a good warm-up for Georgia because they're kind of a Georgia light. Yeah, they don't have the same talent as Georgia, obviously. Hey, Georgia was in a good day. Missouri, I tell you what, I mean, I don't want to get on a tangent. Missouri's a good football team. Mm -hmm. Missouri's a good football team, and that was a good test for Georgia yesterday. Uh, But, yeah, I agree. I mean, you're going against that defense. You're kind of getting a taste of what they're going to – Georgia's going to bring down the road. I think it's going to be similar to what Auburn tries to do as well. I mean, LSU made this simple. We're not letting him beat us deep. And any deep ball he threw was double coverage. Okay, so it was, hey, we're going to see if he can beat us in the middle of the field or with his legs, and he can. And Jalen Milrow might not want to be labeled as a running quarterback, but I'm definitely calling him a quarterback who can run. There's <laughs> yeah. no doubt. Like, I'm not saying he's just a, you know, he's not Tommy Frazier running the option because he can throw the ball too. But, man, when he runs, when he tucks, and a lot of that was just improvised scrambles. I mean, I would not have wanted to have been a defensive coordinator against either of those quarterbacks yesterday. It was just you couldn't really win. If you brought pressure, you know, you're one-on-one with some great receivers. You're short on the back end. If you didn't, and, you know, I know I saw the reaction and got the text going, spy Daniels, spy Daniels. I'm like, Dude, there's it's not that easy. I mean, yeah, they they were trying to spy him. It, it yes. really depends on whether whether you get caught inside the tackle box or outside the tackle box, yeah. and Daniels just kills you by going the other direction. LSU was trying to do the same thing with Milrow. It's hard. Those are not normal. It's not those are not normal athletes. They're both hard to tackle. Uh, they're both creative with the way they run. Um, so it you know I did get a lot of spy him, spy him. I'm like. <laughs> They they're, were. They're, not, they're trying. Not yeah, the spot's just not as good as this. So, Sam, I, I'm curious. You 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 cover you know recruiting all through the southeast and and deal with you know basically national recruiting, and so you see the politics of all of this. I, I do want to ask you about another team. A and M loses to Ole Miss yesterday. It was not a terrible loss. Like they missed a field goal at the end. Like they fought. They didn't get dominated. But as someone who has covered the building of a of a domi- of a dynasty, and that's what AM wanted. They wanted to be competitive in the SEC and, and for the national title. What do you do with Jimbo? Like, what do you do? 
Yeah, I mean, it comes down to simply, I, I, I don't think that's working. You know, I don't think that's a fit. I mean, Jimbo kind of went out FSU kind of, you know, was kind of, you know, limping to the finish line. He's had a few moments at Texas A&M, but if I'm a Texas A&M booster, they put a lot of money into that program. They put a lot of money into the NIL and the recruiting. I mean, it wasn't just Nick Saban saying they bought a whole class, and they did. They they, they did, and, I, and they, it's not illegal. You know, I still hear people saying, they drop the bag. It's a direct deposit. There's no, <laughs> right. There's right. no there's, bag there's, on the. There's a 1099 involved. Yeah, like there's paperwork. <laughs> there's no. There's no gym bag on the front porch. Just a blue chips. So yeah. uh, that. So I'm not judging them for that. But they went out. And they got a ton of kids. Best class ever. Most of them left. You know, there's just a lot of problems doing with that. But I will say, I don't think now Texas A&M is not a bad football team to me. Yeah. I think they're a good football team. I think, like you said, they're competitive. They were competitive with Alabama, competitive with Ole Miss, who's a top-10 team. But I just don't think that what they want, their investment, I don't think the juice is worth the squeeze at this point. So I think you, you know, you know, you follow Mark Davis with the Raiders, right? You pay $85 yep. million to do a coaching change, and you go try to get your guy. I had I had an agent in the coaching world who you know who represents coaches tell me that this was a few weeks ago. Josh McDaniels won't get fired with the Raiders. They would owe him fifty one million dollars. And then when he got fired, I was it, my my mind immediately shifted to Texas A and M. I was like, oh well, somebody will do it. So, <laughs> well, I think if you get your coach, you know, I think you you know, like I don't think Mike Shula was doing a terrible job at Alabama, but when you looked at the fact you thought you could get a Nick Saban. You have to make that upgrade. Texas A&M's, I mean, when you're talking strictly football, and I know, you know, I know the SEC fans aren't used to a lot of the stuff that goes with the program, but when you look at them strictly talking football, they've got everything that Texas has. Mm-hmm. You know, and you they can get, see Texas. they got everything that Alabama has and LSU absolutely. has and Georgia oh, has. Like, they absolutely. could be they that. Probably, they probably yeah. got a little bit more when it comes to the NIL. I think they've got some guys that <laughs> desperately, desperately want to win. When you look at Alabama, you look at the SEC – Alabama, Auburn, all these teams have won in the last decade or so. They've all got a national championship. They've all had success. Texas A&M's been a while, so I think they're extremely hungry. I think it's similar to Texas, but um, there's got to be some frustrations there. Um, you know, you brought in Petrino. You thought he had all the answers, and uh, and again, you, you know, they did lose their starting quarterback, but they just can't get over whatever hump. Yeah. You know, they just can't really get over that hump right now. It's it's amazing. So, uh, yeah, I I feel like I got to ask everybody that because it's I I know it sounds crazy in my mind the idea of paying seventy six million dollars, but it's a lot of money next year, the year after that, the year after that, and the year after that. So it's yeah, going to be a lot of might, money no matter what. They might feel he's close to flipping this thing around. I mean, it's hard to know what a you know. I know that rich, powerful people usually are rich and powerful for a reason, and they're used to getting their way and. um Again, Texas A&M is not a terrible team. They've had some moments, of, a, a couple of flips here and there. They won a couple of big ball games, but college football is just not for the meek. I just want to. I'm gonna send that. I'm gonna say this. Yeah. They can sit here and there's not going to be many easy wins. You can. I looked up yesterday in the early games. There's like five game winning or game tying field goals going on at once. Yes. Four yes. TVs pulled out. I'm like, what the heck? Is going on. I mean, yeah. he had all those games. Texas, we got mm-hmm. a coach going for a fourth and four. You know, we had a we had a bananas game. So I'm enjoy every win your team gets, man. Enjoy them all. 
And and maybe that's why Nick Saban is enjoying these so much. He's, he, he may be blowing blood vessels, yelling, but he seems to be smiling and laughing after games a lot more often now. So. I think he likes his team. I think the recruiting's done well for Alabama. I felt that with last year's class. You know, it's always, you know, Nick Saban's career from a media standpoint is when is he leaving, when is he leaving, when is he leaving, when is he retiring, when is he retiring, when is he retiring. <laughs> you know, that's what we've dealt with. One rumor after another judging by his actions i would say he's enjoying life and uh having success i mean there's a lot of talk with alabama fans that like he was starting milro he had lost the team and they were doing <laughs> right. what they i mean seriously there was discussions all this over is, this is as, as close like because they all say they're tight-knit but this feels very tight-knit you see him on the sideline yeah. if milro makes a mistake if the defense makes yeah. a mistake you can see them coming off the sideline and the bench catches them, high five, head up, coaches get them, all that kind of stuff. It is and, a close knit group. And the last Alabama team I remember like that was 2015. Jonathan yeah. Allen, Dalvin Tomlinson, Ashawn yeah. Rob. They kind of rode herd on everybody else. Yeah. But yeah. this is this is one I, I feel like the DBs kind of set the tone and Milrow yeah. on this one. We got we got we can't leave this show without talking about Caleb Downs. I mean, oh yeah, come on, man. That's for I mean, we knew how great he was. I mean, there was no doubt this guy, first of all, was credible athlete, incredible kid. He had all the tools, but then mentally he was at a different level coaches. I don't know how many times I heard a coach say Caleb was asking about this scheme or Caleb was asking about this, or Caleb knew the Bama defense as well as the secondary guys probably did last year while he was in high school. I mean, he was drilling like Charles Kelly and those guys, he was drilling the DB coaches. Um, but just unbelievable. I think he should be acceleration for an All American, first team All American myself, not just not just freshman. He's been phenomenal. One of my board posters just said he's the first freshman in Alabama hat history to have ten tackles in three games. So wow. Uh, that's a hey, that's a mouthful with that the the defense that's been that's been at Alabama under Saban. Oh yeah. Well, I, I'm excited to see what this team can be the rest of the way because they are evolving before our eyes, and it's it's been fun to watch. Tim, thank you so much. Always, man. Appreciate it. Anytime, Andy. Tim Watts from Bama Online, and that is a, a fascinating story because, like he said, we're used to seeing Alabama kind of fully formed at the beginning of a season, but that's just not how it's been. and. The other thing that's not fully formed when it comes out, the lines each week. So our friends at FanDuel put out the lines on Sunday for this week's games and uh, already some, some interesting moves and, and an epic, epic Rutgers-Iowa total. We'll start with some of the, the more interesting point spreads. Uh, Michigan and Penn State, obviously biggest game of the week. Michigan is favored by five and a half on the road this feels about right. They, they've had kind of a preliminary line on this for the last few weeks. This is about what we expected. Alabama, team we just talked about, going to Kentucky. They are a 10.5-point favorite on the road. This is one where, you know, does Alabama get tripped up between now and the SEC championship game? They only need to win one more to clinch a spot in the SEC championship game, but obviously they would need to beat Kentucky and Auburn and Chattanooga to then get to the SEC championship game with a chance to make the playoff if they win it. So another one, Utah at Washington. Washington's got a tough couple of weeks. They get Utah, they get Oregon State. 
They're a nine and a half point favorite against Utah at home. This started out at 10, dropped a little bit, but I, you know, I, I think this one will be interesting to see because Oregon blew out Utah. I don't know that Washington defensively is going to hold Utah down as much as Oregon did, but I do think Washington should be able to score plenty on Utah, even though Utah has a very good defense. Ole Miss going to Georgia. Georgia's an 11 and a half point favorite in this game. We saw Missouri cover this past weekend. This feels like another one where the, the visitor could cover, but Georgia could still wind up with a very good win. So we'll, we'll keep an eye on that one. Another one in the SEC that's really interesting, Tennessee at Missouri. This started out as Missouri being favored by a point and a half. Now Tennessee is favored by a point and a half. So within the last, say, eight or nine hours, it has flipped over, and now Tennessee is a road favorite going to Columbia. That's going to be a fun game. That's going to be a, a really good game. There's a little, little history there, and, and not in a bad way. Uh, Josh Heupel's career basically resurrected at Missouri. Uh, he'd gotten fired at Oklahoma. He went to Utah State and did some good things, and then he got to Missouri, and that's where they found it, where, where the UCF folks found him, Danny White, the, the AD, who's now his AD at Tennessee. So that'll be a fun one. USC at Oregon. Now, this line came out before Alex Grinch got fired, but it hadn't changed much. It's it's 14 and a half, Oregon's favored. So that one, it feels about right. The one that feels amazing, though, the Rutgers-Iowa total. Iowa's favored by two and a half points. Who cares about that? 28 and a half is your total. They finally opened it one. They opened one under 30. How low can it go? 28 and a half. And of course, I'm going to take the under because the under is seven and two in Iowa games this year. 28 and a half. Unbelievable. Texas and TCU. I believe Texas is a nine point favorite on the road at TCU. This is going to be a big one. We talked to Bobby Burton from inside Texas about that Longhorns win against K-State on Saturday and how big it is for the program. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Joined now by Bobby Burton of Inside Texas. And Bobby, what a game for Texas. That was a near collapse, but they held on. And I just... I feel like this is a game that we wanted to see Texas win for a long time that they have not been able to win for a long time. I, Andy, you're not wrong. <laughs> I think myself and, you know, a hundred thousand other people in uh, DKR on Saturday needed a defibrillator by the end of that <laughs> one. It was back and forth. Uh, there were Texas jumped out to a huge lead uh, 27 to seven uh, mm -hmm. at one point and Kansas state came roaring back, scored a touchdown and then on consecutive possessions, Texas turned it over inside their own 30-yard line. Uh, immediate scores by the Wildcats, and all of a sudden, it's a tie ball game uh, thanks to a missed extra point. And, you know, it looked like a game that was well in hand for the Longhorns, and then the fourth quarter happened and crazy stuff. 
Yeah, it was interesting because Malik Murphy, the who's the backup quarterback who's playing in place of Quinn Ewers, looked amazing for a quarter. And then K-State takes that extra player out of the box, says, we'll, we'll let you run for whatever you want to run for, but this dude's got to beat us with his arm. And boy, it changed everything. It absolutely did. That's a, that's a great description of what exactly happened. He was 7-9 and nine out of the gate, 150 or so. Uh, the rest of the way, he averaged roughly three yards per pass, which, as you and I know, that's just not winning football. Uh, but uh, K-State, credit them. Uh, they hung around there. Texas also got a punt block. So it wasn't just Malik Murphy. Uh, Jonathan Brooks, uh, who mm. is having a potential All-American season at Texas right now, the running back, he put the ball on the carpet for the first time. Uh, really in a long time too. So it wasn't just a Malik Murphy situation. It looked like the whole team was imploding. But back to your initial point, Andy, you mentioned this. You said this is a team, a game that Texas normally might lose, right? Because they haven't been there. They're they're turning the corner a little bit. They're eight and one. Steve Sarkeesian's 14 and four in his last 18 games. They're they're becoming a winning team and a winning program. A lot of that has to do with personnel, of course, but it's it's interesting. It well, it's very interesting because it's it's what they needed to to get past. You know, it's, you got to be able to win the games you're supposed to win, and this is one that they were favored, but only slightly. Kansas State came in as one of the hottest teams in the country, and you knew you'd get the counterpunch at some point from K State. And Texas did not play its best game. Like if you look at what the score should have been. I mean, it's 27 to seven. It probably should have been 41 to seven at that point. Texas didn't play its best and it still beat a good team. And I feel like that is a, a big step that they've needed to take for a little while. With its backup quarterback. Yeah. I mean, Texas exactly. won this game with its backup quarterback. And, and you're right. At K-State we talked about was hot. They had the, Their last two games in the Big 12, they had won 82 to three, a combined yeah. score. Um, and so they were super hot. And you know what, though? I mean, I think Texas right now has the best defensive line in the Big 12, Andy. Mm -hmm. uh, they shut down the K-State run game. This yep. suffocated it. Listening to Will Howard post-game, he's like, we gave up trying to run. Yeah. And so, you know. Tavondre Sweat was unstoppable yesterday. Just absolutely unstoppable. Absolutely. I mean, he's he's earning money. I mean, I, I talked to somebody inside the building yesterday about that. And, you know, he is, he is literally uh, at this point in time – pushing himself into a potential first round grade. And this is a guy that probably would have been a fifth to seventh round pick a year ago. Right. Um, and so he's moving that direction. They also have Byron Murphy's having a great year as well. That defensive front uh, really made the Wildcats pay on Saturday and didn't allow a top five rushing offense in Kansas state to even get off, get started. I think they had 39 yards rushing total. Yeah. Yeah. It was the first game without a hundred all season. So it, it was, it was interesting, and now you look at Texas's situation, and obviously it was a scoreboard-watching day in the Big 12 because you had Kansas beat Iowa State, which knocked Iowa State out of that first-place tie, and then whoever won Bedlam was going to be tied with Texas, and it was Oklahoma State, which I'm sure makes all the Texas fans very, very happy. So now they're in a situation where if they hold serve, they're playing for the, the Big 12 title, a potential playoff berth, all of that good stuff. But we saw what can happen at the end of that game. They've got to avoid that. So how do they avoid that against TCU and against Iowa State and Texas Tech? Turnovers. I mean, really, if Texas, Texas turned the ball over three times, 
a couple of really bad ones. The Malik Murphy interception uh, gave gave K-State the ball uh, at the 12-yard line. I also think they need to start finishing drives. Texas, uh, the, they've had some issues in the red zone that are well-documented. Uh, they tried to go for it again inside, I think it was the 11-yard line this time, inside the 10. Uh, it came up, uh, had a play malfunction on them and didn't score. Um, and so Steve Sarkeesian's got to start getting in the end zone on some of these drives. But I'm telling you now, and, and Sark has been talking about this, not only is the team resilient, um, Andy, they've also been, also been versatile. They've won games with defense. They've won it with offense. They've won it with special teams. And they're starting to show off some depth. They, they, they started a, a redshirt freshman offensive lineman uh, on Saturday. It's, it, it was his first extended action of the year. He came in for a guy that's going to be all Big 12. And they, and they had and no sacks, right? Yeah. Texas gave up no sacks in that game. And so their depth is being tested right now. And, you know, the coming through are pretty good, pretty flying colors, I would say. I mean, it's just my thought on the Big 12 as a whole right now to your your greater point is, look, Oklahoma State, what a tremendous coaching job by Mike Gundy. I'm not so sure he didn't self-sabotage early in the year trying three different quarterbacks. <laughs> but once he's gone to – once he's gone to, to Alan Bowman, he's been terrific. Yeah. Um, Colin Oliver's been a revelation of sorts for them. Uh, but, I mean, I, I will say this. The the, the non-pass interference call on Drake Stoops was, uh, look, you could be a Texas fan and say, my God, that's pass <laughs> Yeah. Um, it happened to Texas, too, with Xavier Worthy twice. <laughs> um, the Big 12 leaves a lot to be desired in officiating, in my personal opinion. Uh, but I, I look at it and Oklahoma State has a, I don't want to say a cakewalk, but if you look at their schedule. It's about as easy as it can be. Yeah. <laughs> you are and I are on the same page. You, yes. you and I, we're, we're of one mind there. Texas is a little bit different. At TCU, at Iowa State, back-to-back, finish with Texas Tech. Those are three quasi-talented, quasi-good teams. You don't know what you're necessarily going to get that given Saturday from them, yep. from those opponents. But add in the fact that Malik Murphy's turning the ball over like he is, and we don't know when Quinn Ewers is coming back or what the timeline might be, that, that it's a, it, there's a little, uh, I don't want to say um, trepidation. I guess trepidation is the right word uh, about Probably, it. Yeah. Fans. So that Oklahoma State schedule, for those who don't know, at UCF, at Houston, BYU, all new to the Big 12 teams, None of the new to the Big 12 teams have been good in Big 12 play this year. Basically, most of their wins are against one another. They're not beating the established Big 12 teams. So we'll we'll see what happens with that. But you you mentioned Quinn Ewers. He's got the AC joint injury. That's a one of those that is a weird one in terms of healing time and everybody's different. When do you think he might be back? I think it's possible he's back on against TCU. Okay. I, I think it's possible. He was throwing in practice last week. Now, what does that really mean, right? I mean, um, you know, was he throwing with with uh, was he throwing ten yard p- passes or was he throwing twenty five yard passes? Was he um, stepping into it or was he just? Fl- I mean, you, you know exactly what I'm talking about there. Yeah. Um, we don't know, uh, and I, I will say this: I would not be surprised if someone like Arch Manning, if if Quinn Ewers can't go, if Steve Sarkeesian doesn't look at Arch Manning at some point during that game against DCU because Malik Murphy had two interceptions on Saturday. 
probably should have had four. I mean, they were in and out of K-State defenders' hands uh, two other times. And so uh, it's a precarious situation for Texas right now. Yeah, uh, although the arch situation, if you had to, you could still redshirt him because probably get Ewers back before. Like, even if you make Arch the starter, you're going to get Ewers back at some point and you can keep Arch under four games. But the, at Iowa State seems to be the, the the trickiest one. That location, that team, that defense, you know, it, it's been a problem for Texas over the years. So that's the one I, I, I would I would circle as, hey, you, you probably want to have him back if you can by then. I would agree with you. And if you remember correctly, in Steve Sarkeesian's first year, it was the game at Iowa State where Texas defensive line coach Bo Davis. Oh, yeah. Uh, they, you know, he let it he let it rip on how he felt about some guys and how they weren't necessarily buying into team. That's a return trip to Ames and Ames at night. Not easy. Uh, yeah. I think Texas knows that. Uh, we'll see if it's a night game after all. But I'm mean, Andy. Uh, you're not you're, you're not wrong about what you're saying. The, the idea, though, that this is TCU's last shot at Texas. Oh, Iowa State doesn't necessarily have that that uh, kind of thought process. But Texas Tech, with all of what went on in the preseason with Brett Yormark and uh, the associate commissioner uh, of the Big 12 as well, you know, I can't tell you uh, that there's not some animosity there. Uh, I, I know for a fact Kirby Hokut would, you know, probably give Joey McGuire a raise if he just beat Texas because all the wolves would be off of his back. That's for sure. Well, the the target will be on the Longhorns back because if if Oklahoma State can can rally through, then one of the remaining teams is going to play in the Big 12 championship game. I'm sure they would like it to be two, but Texas would like it to to be them winning on the way out. So we will see what happens. Bobby, thank you so much. Andy, always a pleasure, dude. Uh, best of luck to you. That's Bobby Burton from inside Texas. Longhorns in very good shape. We now move to a program that is not in very good shape at all. The Florida Gators lost a game they could not afford to lose at home in overtime to Arkansas, which snapped the six-game losing streak. Sam Pittman coming up big after firing his offensive coordinator, during the bye week, elevating Kenny Guyton. Big win for Arkansas. Horrible loss for Florida, which now faces an uphill climb to be bowl eligible. We talked to Nick Delatore from Gators Online about what the Gators do now, what Billy Napier does now. How do they deal with a situation where the negativity is starting to get overwhelming? Joined now by Nick Delatory of Gators Online. And Nick, this was pretty much the worst case scenario that we uh, we laid out for Florida. Losing to Arkansas and now needing a win against one of at LSU, at Missouri, or Florida State at home to become bowl eligible. Yeah, well, they played really well on the road uh, over Billy Napier's 22 games. So you probably feel good about LSU or Missouri. Um, and then <laughs> and then there's a playoff team coming in. So, yeah, it it's tough for me to say, you know, not say that a bowl game is important because, you know, I'm, I'm a proponent of, listen, when, when it's June, I would love for there to be some bowl games going on. But I get that fans won't get excited for 
the Duke's Mayo Bowl. Please don't come for us. That's a social I don't media think team. They, you don't want to be on the wrong side. I don't think they rate the Duke's Mayo Bowl at six and <laughs> six. So I think we're talking Birmingham. We're talking Shreveport. Mm. You know. Actually, I can't remember. But, if the, I don't even remember if the Independence Bowl is an SEC bowl anymore. So I think they're not. But but I can't sit here and tell you that, like, okay, it's not important when I'm also telling you all season long, hey, Florida's really young. They need practice. They need time. Mm -hmm. Florida needs bowl practices last year because you were in such a bad bowl game. You didn't even get a chance to use all 15 practices. But you have a five-star quarterback in DJ Lagway that will be able to enroll early in practice. You have a bunch of Eugene Wilson, Jordan Castell, a bunch of freshmen, sophomores who could use the practice. Uh, this was your opportunity to secure bowl eligibility and get those games. Now Florida will not be and should not be uh, favored to win any of their next three games. So you had an interesting question to Billy Napier yesterday because special teams, obviously a huge part of the loss to Arkansas, uh, multiple times, 10 guys lining up on, on field goal block again. Uh, the field goal team running onto the field, causing an illegal substitution penalty, uh, a missed field goal at the end of regulation that would have won the game, a missed extra point that would have probably caused them to win the game had they made it. And here's what you asked Billy Napier about special teams and his answer. Uh, Billy, the special teams unit has pretty much consistently had issues, whether it's been procedural or otherwise. What can you do this late in the season to help them or fix that? And at the end of the season, do you have to look at changing the operation completely there? Well, um, specifically, what are you talking about? For a field goal block, uh, the uh, bad snap, and then the procedural penalty uh, running the guys on. Then they've had issues pretty much. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that, um, you know, we had a few young people today that had opportunities. That's what I would say, you know. Um, we also had some great punt returns today. We had some great kickoff returns today. Uh, we covered kicks and punts well today. Um, you know, I think it's important here, and one of the things that I respect about our team, um, there's a lot of blame to be spread out, you know, and in this game in particular, I think we're going to look back at all parts of our team. Um, every single thing that we do gets evaluated, right? When we make mistakes that have nothing to do with the opponent, you know, those are the things that we specifically try to correct, right? So there's no question what you're talking about is part of our process and ultimately it comes down to doing the, the best you can do for the players. Right. We have a responsibility to do the best we can do for the players. So, you know, there are things on offense and defense that we can do well uh, today as well. You know, so it's all under evaluation. Um, and I think in particular for me, things that have nothing to do with the opponent, those are the things that you need to get fixed. If this were an episode of Seinfeld, that would be the big word salad, Nick. Because he keeps talking about stuff that has nothing to do with the opponent, and that's what you need to fix. That's what you were asking. You were asking, why haven't you fixed this yet? And they haven't. Yeah, yeah he caught me off guard uh, with, you know, what specifically? And I was like, today or the entire season? Well, How uh, the, much the, time the do list, we have? Yeah, the list you gave was pretty pretty thorough. And then you're like, 
well, would you like me to go back through the other games? Yeah, I was just like, I can come, I can come better prepared on Monday. Um, you know, you have to help the players. Is hiring an on-field coach helping the players when you're saying, and I don't think this was Billy Neighbors' intention, but when you're saying we had a player think he heard a word and that signaled him to run on the field and they ran on the field. Well, then my question follow up to that would be the play before you had a timeout and then you ran. So who's your coach for special teams to be in the offensive huddle to say, Hey, if we get a first down, the clock stops. And then this is what what we're going to do. You don't have a coach. You have a graduate assistant and an analyst who can't, by the letter of the law, coach on the yeah, field. Yeah, I was gonna say, can so, I can I add can I make a cynical point here? Yeah. The cynical part of me says the whole play that the, there's a player in charge of that signal and, and all that. Well, you have to say that because you can't say there's an analyst in charge of it. Yes. Um, but it, it's to put the players in the best position. Are you doing that? We're you we're and listen, you should have good punt coverage. You should have good kick coverage. Right. You should also have 11 people on the field goal block team. That would help. Every time. That would help. What about 11 different jersey numbers on the field at the same time? They seem to have gotten that part. It, I, think. It, well, I think. Most peewee teams do as well. Um, it was perplexing to me, his response of, you know, clutching my pearls whatever do you mean special teams problems so well and and that's that's the issue he seems to have he seems to have lost the uh the pr battle here which look if you're not winning you're going to lose the pr battle but at a certain point you just got to be like our young players are are playing pretty well like eugene wilson was great yesterday Mm -hmm. but they they seem to not understand that they're they're not inspiring any confidence, but I, I am wondering what can he say? Cause that that's part of, part of mm-hmm. what I think is, is the issue is he can't come out and say, I'm going to hire an offensive coordinator to call the plays next year. I'm going to hire a special teams mm-hmm. coach. We're probably not going to have two offensive line coaches. He can't say any of that right now. Yeah. Um, you can say, yes, we are evaluating it. We think it's been a rough patch and that kind of leads you down the direction. We think this has been a weakness and we will evaluate that. Yeah. You, you're not saying, Hey, we're firing people. Heads are rolling, but you're saying, yes, I acknowledge what the fans, it lets, it lets the fans know, Hey, we hear you. We also agree with you and we will make those changes. Mm-hmm. And instead, I think, you know, if, if I'm the PR, if I'm Billy's PR guy, um, we're leaving that press conference and I'm saying, Hey man, we, we did not do well there. We talked about what, what we learned from having people speak to us in practice after losing to a team that was two and six. That's not mm-hmm. what people wanted to hear at that moment, whether it's true or not. And I think it is true. You hope that they learned something from that, but I'm not talking about that at a podium to a group of angry fans yeah. minutes after losing a game. So I don't think it was a a great press conference in terms of answers. Um, He doesn't really give great press conferences, but like you said, it doesn't matter if you're winning games. They're just not winning games. 11 and 11 after 22. um, It's just not cutting it. So he can't say, and and like you said, he won't say I'm firing myself as play caller and we'll figure it out. But those are moves that you have to make and you have to be critical after the, after the season. I was reading your message board at Gators Online, and I will say it seems like the fan base is 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 pretty understanding of the situation. 
because there's not a lot of just fire Billy stuff out there because they realistically can't. So $32 million buyout, 50% of it due upfront. So unless you've got $16 million in cash laying around, and then you've got the added part of at what point do you stop just running on the treadmill of fire the coach, fire the coach, fire the coach, fire the coach. Well, firing him this year would be super cool because then you'd be paying Dan Mullen and Billy and your new coach. So you'd be paying yeah. three coaches at the same time, two of them not to coach your team. I don't think Billy is in danger of being fired. Um, and, and I think credit to our message board, we've been championing all year, whether Billy liked my question or not, we've been championing all year. The best players on this team have been brought in by this coaching staff. Mm -hmm. And it takes time. And it's going to, you're going to have to be patient. There's going to be growing pains. And like I said on the show, uh, the last time I was here, knowing that there's growing pains doesn't make the growing pains feel good real time. Um, and, and I don't think losing to Arkansas uh, is one of the expected growing pains. No. Uh, fans were ready for. No, an Arkansas team that, that just lost 7-3 to Mississippi State. Now, granted, they made an offensive coordinator change mm -hmm. and it worked out better for them. But right, this, this was the one they were supposed to win. This is the one we kind of circled as if they lose this one, uh-oh, that's a big problem. And there, there are some excuses, which people will call them. As a defensive coordinator looking for tendencies and patterns, Kenny Guyton had never called plays, had never right. ran an offense. There are no tendencies. There are no patterns. I said before the game, you're going to have to adjust in game, maybe even yeah. come out with just a base defense and have to adjust and figure things out. They did not. Arkansas well, I, had I, I will say, 81 like, yards. If if you're looking for a pattern from the guy who doesn't have a history, perhaps he'll try to do what his players do best. Hmm. And that's kind of what he did. He's like, oh, KJ Jefferson is very big <laughs> and runs fast. Maybe sure. I'll let him run the ball. Yeah, and I guess you could have gone back to Bryles and, and he coached under Bryles. What did Arkansas's offense look like under mm -hmm. that? Um, to me, you know, it was like Herman Boone and remember the Titans. It was like, Hey, we've got six plays. We're just going to run them, give them time. They work like Novocaine. And it was like, Hey, we have a gigantic quarterback who's big, strong and fast. Let's run him. Oh, and by the way, we get an all American level running back. Yes. That, that, uh, that Rocket Sanders return was, was the other thing. And then Florida had injuries on the D line. Like mm -hmm. the, the perfect storm was, was yeah. brewing. You could feel it. And but it, it, it doesn't make it any less frustrating. But I, I just wonder, you know, what, what can Florida do? What can Billy Napier and company do these next few weeks? Because they're going to LSU. Now, they might not, they might not see Jaden Daniels. We, we don't if, know about if that. Doug, if Doug Nussmeyer's son oh boy. beats the Florida Gators. Oh, boy. If Doug Nussmeyer's son oh beats the Florida Gators, it might break the fan base. You, oh might, you yeah. might actually hope for Jaden Daniels to play. Hadn't thought about that. Garrett Nussmeyer, son of former offensive coordinator at Florida, Doug Nussmeyer under Jim McElwain. Wow. Boy, the the psychic hits just keep coming. There's never, never a dull moment covering the Florida Gators, Andy. Nick, we'll talk again soon. That's Nick Delatore from Gators Online. Yeah, a lot, a lot of what Ron Zook liked to call noise in the system with Florida. They they are heading to LSU. We'll see if they do wind up facing a Garrett Nussmeyer-led LSU team. 
What does that mean for LSU? What does that mean for Jaden Daniels? Heisman candidacy? We'll find all that out. It is going to be another action-packed week. Who knows what Monday will bring? But I suspect there's going to be some news, and we've got some picks. Our friend Max Olson from The Athletic will join us as our special guest picker. Got that juicy, juicy 28 and a half. Rutgers, Iowa, baby. I can't wait. What a week this is going to be. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.